Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time I spoke with Dr. Patrick Durr, professor of philosophy at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, regarding a talk that he gave at an area hospital entitled Professionalism and Virtue in Medicine. The subtitle of his talk was Hippocrates Was No Fool and History Proves It. Today in part two of the interview, we will further discuss how deviation from virtue in medicine toward utilitarianism has led to disaster. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy, prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls, will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life. O God, the profession of medicine is under tremendous pressure to be agents of death and to abandon the Hippocratic tradition of being at the service of life, and only life. You, as the great physician, gave your life so that others may live. Help us to realize that medical professionals serve you by being at the service of life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In part one of my interview with Dr. Patrick Durr, philosophy professor at Clark University, Dr. Durr discussed law and medicine as professions. More specifically, he referred to them as the learned and ethical professions. These professions are called learned because a large body of knowledge needs to be learned and then applied to individual cases. These professions are called ethical because they profess something important. In the case of the profession of law, one professes to serve individuals regarding their need for justice. In the case of medicine, one professes to serve individuals in their need for health. 
Physicians must profess to serve people with respect to their need for health and only health. Hippocrates was no fool, as Dr. Durr stated. Hippocrates knew that doctors could not kill under any circumstances and must always be in the service of health. Once the medical profession agrees to do a little bit of killing, society will ask them to do more killing. As Dr. Durr put it in his talk on professionalism and virtue in medicine, physicians simply as professionals, independently of any personal, moral, or religious motivation, and independently of the broader society's preferences, cannot kill and should never be involved in capital execution, torture, biological warfare, abortion, assisted suicide, or any other deliberate attack upon health or life. As a profession, continued Dr. Durr, medicine exists to serve health, not the government's latest social whim, not the ideology of the moment, and not for personal gain. The profession of medicine exists to serve health. And now, here is part two of my conversation with Dr. Patrick Durr. We pick up the conversation with his emphasis on the belief expressed by the giants of medicine that doctors should never kill. From Hippocrates on up through Coop, I think this understanding of a professional would say it is the nature of the profession that prohibits physicians independently from any personal moral code, Mm -hmm. independently from their private religious motivations, independently from, you know, what their particular society happens to prefer Mm. in a decade. It's the nature of the medical profession that says physicians cannot kill. And they should never be involved. And I think, uh, you know, the AMA goes on to list capital execution, torture, mm-hmm. biological warfare, you know, and I'd add abortion and assisted suicide. Right. right. Just right there in the Hippocratic Oath, it says, I will not. Uh, Hippocrates yeah. had the comprehensive list. Right? Yes. These are the <laughs> jobs that we will not do for you. Exactly. And then you go on to say that, um, you know, we're not talking about a a, a trade. Right. I mean, the trades are honorable, and some of them are indeed, you know, really sophisticated. And I don't mean any disrespect to the trades. Right. right? I mean, you know, the the skilled trades are, uh, I think, seriously undervalued. But there's a big moral difference. You know, each of the professions is oriented to a single fundamental human good and can't morally ever act against that good. Mm-hmm. Right? Physicians can't kill, attorneys can't support perjury. Um, but trades don't have that restriction. Mm-hmm. 
if I have bizarre notions of beauty and I want my painter to do some hideously ugly job uh, in my house, uh, he might want me to put it in writing. Yeah. But he certainly doesn't have an overarching moral commitment to beauty, right? I mean, it's perfectly moral for him to do whatever kind of painting I pay him to do. But with the professions, it's completely different. If I tell my surgeon that I want a botched hernia repair with massive post-operative morbidity, mm-hmm. he cannot aim at that result. Being a professional, or being a physician, limits the physician's options. Physicians can't take kickbacks and so yeah. on and so on and so on. Right. But it also limits the patient's options, right? I can't ask or expect, and I shouldn't beg, my physician to act in a way that is contrary to the fundamental moral foundation of his profession. Physicians can't attack health. Physicians can't kill, mm-hmm. no matter how much a patient might want them to. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, doing things, uh, doing botched things, um, things like... Um, you know, genital mutilation you, you had uh, referred to. And it makes me think about, you know, we, we actually are not only is uh, medicine being attacked by being society's uh, executioners with assisted suicide, but doctors are mutilating patients with so-called gender reassignment uh, surgery. I'll never forget the first time I encountered this in my practice. It was actually not my patient, but it was a patient of a colleague of mine who worked in the same office, and her teenage patient was seeing a physician in Boston, and the Boston doctor called my uh, colleague to um, help track different uh, hormone levels because uh, this patient was undergoing uh, hormone injections. So I, you know, I, I personally saw that as, as being a child abuse and really violating uh, the physician's um, a promise to do no harm. The leading medical institution in Europe, I think the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, agrees with you. They have changed their position uh, based on the evidence, and they will no longer participate or refer for gender reassignment treatment mm-hmm. for adolescents or children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing. But getting back to the um, you know the ethics of the professions, you you wrote that law has trended away from being ethical uh, because too often seeking justice is not the goal. Uh, so h- how would you see medicine as a, an ethical profession being undermined and deviating from its rightful goal? You know, I guess, first of all, I, you know, I'd suggest that some of the young Turks in medicine who, who want uh, the Mass Medical Society and the AMA to endorse euthanasia ought to look at what's happened to law, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know that there are many, many, many honest and moral physicians, but the sad fact is that by and large, Americans don't believe that attorneys are committed to justice anymore. And when they're surveyed by George Gallup, right, attorneys rank at the level of car salesmen <laughs> in terms of respect. You know, I think there's a fairly simple lesson there about what happens socially when a profession is perceived to have abandoned its moral commitment. Right. If doctors do decide that they're willing to kill, or they're willing to do other other kinds of procedures that attack 
healthy humans. I mean, it would be a sad thing, but they're going to end up having the same social status as attorneys. And that, that's not good. Right. But, right. you know, how, how is medicine threatened today? Uh, why is it under attack today? Actually, I don't think there's been much change in that regard. You know, I think that in every, in every century, you know, there are elites who view some of their population as being too expensive or too embarrassing or, or too yep. troublesome. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're always unwanted people in the society. And there has always been pressure on physicians to help control or eliminate or stop the reproduction of those people. So there's, yep. you know, there's always been pressure for you know, unnecessary psychiatric treatments or, and hospitalizations or, you know, unwarranted sterilizations or mm-hmm. euthanasia. Right. Um, I don't think that that's new. It may, it may be that in the horrors that followed World War II, medicine enjoyed a kind of an interlude uh, of being free from pressure to do that kind of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you've observed, the interlude is over there. Yeah. Are, yeah. The pressures are coming back. Yeah. In that line, you, you talked about that because of those pressures, because of those requests that the uh, society places on us, that medicine requires the uh, virtues of fidelity and integrity. Uh, could you talk about that some more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's easy to describe them, but it's not so easy to live them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the medical profession is is dedicated, is committed to always using its skill and knowledge to serve health and not to attack life, not to attack health. Well, simply being faithful to that commitment, I, 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 I'm not a theologian, but I think the name for being faithful to a moral commitment like that is fidelity. Yes. Um, you know, and the name for upholding it through, you know, through pressures and, and, and whether it's peer pressure, social pressure, uh, is integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and simply to preserve medicine as a profession is going to require fidelity and integrity and probably more today yeah. than it did 40 years ago yeah. because I, I think you're right the pressures are greater but think, we should honor physicians and respect physicians who do maintain that commitment you 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 went on to uh mention a third virtue which was uh you know very eye opening um what is this uh, third virtue that the medical profession needs uh well it's the virtue of the 24 year old medical student writing op-eds in favor of euthanasia does not possess, I think every generation ought to have the humility right. to recognize that the generations of professionals who've gone before might not have been complete fools. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Osler and Walter Reed you know, and Mark Siegler weren't fools yeah. uh, when they wrote about ethics. You have to have enough humility to realize you're not the first person who's thought about these issues. And if all of the great minds for a millennium have agreed on something, that perhaps you should be careful yes. before you start saying it's a mistake. Yeah, it's like the biblical, it's like the proverb, uh, the pride goeth before the fall. All of a sudden, after 2,500 years, we suddenly think that Hippocrates didn't know what he was talking about. It's, it's uh, sad to see. There are a lot of people today who 
talk about the the Nazis as being the ones who uh, started this in the in the modern era, but I, I was very uh, struck by what you said in in your uh, talk that the Nazis didn't teach the Germans the German physicians how to kill. The German physicians actually taught the Nazis how to kill. Yeah, that's um, that's virtually a quote from Robert J. Lifton's book on the Nazi doctors. And it's true. The Nazis didn't teach the doctors to kill. It was the doctors who taught the Nazis to kill. Yeah, it's very but scary. Lifton didn't go quite far enough back in his history. German physicians started to kill their patients in the early 1920s. Mm. The poison gas shower, for example, uh, wasn't developed at Auschwitz. It was developed at Hadamar. It was developed and perfected by physicians, psychiatrists to be exact. Yeah, amazing. In order to kill the useless eaters in their mental hospital. And that was 15 years before Hitler came to power. German medicine had rotted before the Nazis arrived upon the scene. You know, I wish it were true. It would be comforting Mm -hmm. if it were true. That German medicine only collapsed because of Nazism. But that's not true. Another really important piece of that history, uh, you know, which is, I guess, lost in the convenience of remembering it differently, is that when we say German medicine imploded, what we're saying is the most advanced medical culture that the earth had ever known imploded. Some time ago, I, I had the privilege of getting to know a physician here in Worcester. He was retired. He's Dr. Robert Solomon. He mm-hmm. was a radiologist at the UMass Medical School. And he trained in Germany in the 20s. And he was one of the Jews who escaped, came to the United States. The Mass General was absolutely thrilled to get him. Mm-hmm. The radiologist at Mass General proudly took him to see their newest X-ray machine. And Dr. Solomon, and he was embarrassed telling this anecdote 40 years later, Dr. Solomon broke out laughing. Yeah. He thought they were playing a joke on him by showing him a museum piece. That's <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, right? we thought we were so advanced, right? I mean, that's, right, a, a you know, a practically just out of medical school German doctor in the finest hospital in the United States thinks mm-hmm. he's looking at museum pieces. Yeah. That's how advanced German medicine was in the 20s. And that is exactly when it devolved into barbarism. And so how do you think that happened? Why? What, what is your thought about how such an advanced, the most advanced uh, medicine in the world, how did it devolve into killing? Uh, I, look, to be honest, my first reaction is I wish I knew. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are wise people who have ventured uh, some hypotheses. Dr. Solomon thought that the first corrupting uh, influence was uh, German physicians' willingness to take over capital executions. You know, I think Robert J. Lifton suggests that uh, the physicians' uh, willingness to accept abortion mm-hmm. uh, you know, might have might have been the beginning. And in, in his famous paper uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine, Leo Alexander, uh, who was, of course, the medical consultant at the Nuremberg War Crimes Trials. Uh, but Alexander suggests that the beginning of the rot was that there was any such thing as a life that was no longer worth living. 
you know, so I, I can't claim that I know what the cause was, but, you know, but there is, I think, a really important fact. And the fact is that obviously scientific success, scientific prestige, scientific skill does not make one immune to moral barbarism. Mm-hmm. Right? If we were to approach this as a disease problem, you know, the data driven answer would be, Scientific success is a risk factor. Yeah, yeah. For moral degeneration. Yeah, again, you have the um, the the arrogance or the pride factor that we're so great, we know so much. So let's that do. Was, that was Leo Alexander uh, included the famous quote from Toynbee um, in in his paper in the New England Journal. Success led to pride, and pride led to the downfall. Yeah, amazing. Success led to pride, and pride led to the downfall. So said Arnold Joseph Toynbee, British historian, who wrote a 12-volume analysis of the rise and fall of civilizations. The original Greek was from Koros to Hybris to Ati, from success to pride to the downfall. Koros can be defined as surfeit, or success, or power. Hybris, hubris, arrogance, pride. And ati, disaster, downfall, madness, seeing wrong as right. Dr. Leo Alexander, mentioned by Dr. Durr, was an American psychiatrist neurologist, educator, and author of Austrian Jewish origin, who was a key medical advisor during the Nuremberg trials. He quoted Toynbee in his 1949 article in the New England Journal of Medicine, a weekly medical journal published by the Massachusetts Medical Society, and is among the most prestigious peer-reviewed medical journals, as well as the oldest continuously published one from 1812. I am of the belief that the Massachusetts Medical Society and the New England Journal of Medicine are examples of success leading to pride, leading to disaster, as both entities are solidly in the culture of death with respect to abortion and assisted suicide. One wonders if the New England Journal of Medicine would even publish Dr. Leo Alexander's article today. Here is an excerpt of that article from 1949. What occurred in Germany may have been the inexorable historic progression that the Greek historians have described as the law of the fall of civilizations, and that Toynbee has convincingly confirmed, namely, that there is a logical sequence from Koros to Hybris to Ati, which means from surfeit to disdainful arrogance to disaster. The surfeit being increased scientific and practical accomplishments, which, however, brought about an inclination to throw away the old motivations and values by disdainful, arrogant pride 
in practical efficiency. Moral and physical disaster is the inevitable consequence. The editorial in that same 1949 issue of the New England Journal of Medicine would likely not pass muster in the 2021 New England Journal of Medicine. Here are some excerpts from that editorial in 1949. Elsewhere in this issue of the journal, Alexander describes a most unedifying aspect of a sick society, the genesis of the physician killer. The account of the transformation of men of science into the instruments of murderous dictatorship is no more shocking than the disclosures of the criminal activities of other professions in the Third Reich. Indeed, the imagination sickened by the early and subsequent records of tortures, crematoriums, and mass murders can become so blunted that the full horror is lost upon it. But Alexander, in his description, traces the unholy progress of German medicine in terms that leave no room for indifference. If men dedicated to the most merciful of callings, with a record of splendid achievement, could in a few years become the tools of those who lived by calculated tortures and killings, what wonder that the rest of the nation came to accept murder as an instrument of state policy. The editorial in 1949 ended with this. The history of the complete brutalization of an eminent profession contains information that is instructive and sobering. The advancement of science must proceed, but not at the cost of the humane considerations that are the epitome of medical practice. It is to be hoped that American medicine will proceed to still greater heights of achievement, avoiding alike the newly acquired delusions of omnipotence described by Alexander and the Judas cry of the guiltiest of men. Is it I, Lord? I submit that the last line, Is it I, Lord, would never appear in today's New England Journal of Medicine. I pray that I am wrong. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And, at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.